0: Catch your breath, right? Here we go. Uh, I Grab a Bible, Matthew chapter 28. If you need a Bible, there is uh, a Bible under a seat somewhere nearby. You grab that one. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And then a um, uh, wire in Matthew 28, also put a bookmark or stick a finger into Acts chapter 2. Uh, that's four books to the right from where you'll be. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2. Uh, Put a bookmark uh, in there as well. I, uh, uh, happy 2020. I haven't had a chance to say that uh, to you all yet. Uh, do you remember when 2020 sounded so futuristic? Uh, so, like, meet the Jetsons, right? Uh, for some of you who know that. Um, but uh, happy 2020. And I am, one of the things I'm most excited about in 2020 is uh, the lineup of the preaching calendar. Uh, and what we're going to be studying together uh, throughout this year. And we're starting this year with a six-week series on the church. And uh, we thought thought long and hard, and we're super creative people, and so uh, we called the title of the series, you ready for it? The church. I know. We're brilliant, and we're cute, right? And um, and, uh, the whole hope is that six weeks from now, all of us together, have the high, high view of this thing called the church that God has for this thing called the church. The hope is that all of us together, as we pour ourselves into this study, will understand what is God's intention for the church. And that we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't have a wrong understanding of the church. We wouldn't have an incomplete understanding of the church. We wouldn't um, reduce church down to be something that God doesn't reduce it down to because this thing called the church is big and it's beautiful and it's important. Um, In God's word, we find the Lord refer to his church often as his body. And then in this letter that Paul writes in Ephesians, uh, Paul will call the church the bride of Christ. And so if you've been to a wedding, and I'm sure most of the room has, Guys even admit it, right? Ladies, you'll probably readily admit it, but guys admit it. The moment the bride begins the walk down the aisle, it's cool. Like, I don't care if you're the manliest man. Hey, you know this movie, right? Father of the Bride. I don't care if you're the manliest man in this room. You might not go ooh and ah, but you'll go, yeah, that was cool. Uh, throughout uh, almost 12 years of ministry, I've had a chance to do a lot of weddings now. I've seen all kinds of bridal entrances. I saw one come in on a horse. Yeah, Brides of 2020 beat that, right? And when you do a wedding, you think of all the logistical nightmares that could happen with a horse, right? You know what I'm saying? Like just, and it was awesome. I've sat in a, a, a guy who was in our student ministry. I watched this, his bride. It was an outdoor wedding, and uh, there was a steep hill, and I, I'm going, uh-oh. She hits that runner, flies backwards, catches herself, says, I'm good. And it was awesome. <laughs> the moment a bride walks in and begins that march, there's something special about that moment. I, I think, I think there's something to it. I think for all of us sitting there as we watch a bride walk to her bridegroom, it's this small, small, earthly picture of this grand eternal thing that all of our hearts are longing for when the bride of Christ will be united to the bridegroom fully and finally. And we have to have this high, high view of what God intended his church, his bride, his body to be. And what it looks like for us as a member of that body, as a part of the bride, what kind of commitments that means for us. Because I know we live in a culture, and this isn't just a knock on our culture, every culture and every generation has had incomplete views of what the church is. They've reduced down church to be something that misses the grand, grandiose, big and beautiful vision for church that God has. And I want to call out a couple of, our, a couple of those reduced down small views of church that we see in our culture. Um, One of them that we'll hear in our culture a lot is is this. A church is a building I go to. Now, hear me. We are a church that meets in a school. Across the football field, we've broken ground. After the winter, you'll start to see a church building go vertical. When that building's done, um, uh, you know, you'll tell people you're part of Harvest Bible Chapel. And they'll go, oh, there's Harvest Bible Chapel. Or they'll say, oh, I know your church. It's the church on I-65 and Worsville Road. That is not the church. You with me? Here it is. Look around. Here is the church. We praise God for a tool of a facility that helps the church fulfill the mission, helps equip people uh, to grow into greater likeness, But a building is not the church. And we are like, we know that. A lot of us, if you've been around church at all, you know that. But even can't you get pulled into the vernacular of that? I get pulled into the vernacular of that, the vocabulary of that. But, y'all, God's view of the church is so much bigger than a building we go to. Related to that, uh, there's this idea that church is a service I attend. And now, if you're newer to church, like this isn't, like don't feel bad. Don't be like, oh, I, I thought that's what church was. We have almost conditioned and created church in America to, to kind of communicate that all church is is the 75 minutes we gather together on Sunday. And here's what happened. You want to talk a little church history, recent church history? When that movement began to happen, where all of the focus became about the 75 minutes that happened in a room like this. In fact, some church movements will even say, it's all about Sunday and what they mean about that is, like, do everything you can to create the most epic, entertaining dog and pony show, smoke and light show, to get people to come into your doors for the 75 minutes on Sunday. Listen to me. Church is bigger than 75 minutes of a corporate worship gathering. Now, the corporate worship gathering is really, really important. We don't neglect it. There's a reason you are up and out of bed on a Sunday morning in here. There, what just happened there? The body of Christ, the saints getting together and singing worship to the Lord is vital for the vitality of our souls. What happens in this moment when together we're saying we're all going to come and we're all going to submit ourselves under the word of God and be taught by it? That is vital to our souls. And so don't hear me say church is more than the 75 minutes and teenager goes, see mom and dad i have been telling you we don't have to go on Sundays. To neglect the regular meeting with the body of Christ is to neglect the vitality of our very own souls. But I'm saying... If all we think churches is this, y'all, we've missed it. Another one. If church is just an organization I'm part of, like the Rotary Club, like the Elks, Moose Lodge, whatever it is, I'm not knocking those. Junior Rotarian, right here, okay? I'm not knocking those. But if all we see churches as a charitable or a service organization, we miss the grand big picture of what? God has intended his body and his bride to be. So what is the church? Church is this. It's the assembly of the called out ones of God. That's a big statement. We'll unpack it. But the church is this. Uh, The New Testament word is ecclesia, the assembly of the called out ones. It's the people of God. And with that as the definition of what the church is, with, with that as the understanding that we are the church, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And yes, we have corporate worship gatherings, but that's, all not, that's not all church is. And yes, in our area of the world, because of weather, there's buildings that we meet in, but the church is not just a building. And yes, we do serve. And yes, we do sacrificially give to things, but the church is not just a service or charitable organization. The church is the bride of Christ. With that as the definition, here's the hope of this series. And here's the hope for this church, us. That we would see ourselves as this small, little, local expression of this big, grandiose, global church. And we would see ourselves as a worshiping family on mission together. That is the hope. And if that doesn't resonate in your heart right now, I hope by the end of this series, your heart longs to experience that as church, a worshiping family on mission together. And and, and I want to hear from you now. If you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. If you have tasted the goodness of that, you're like, yes! Yes! When I read Acts, this is what my soul longs for. And if you've tasted it, you know the goodness of it. And if you never have, oh, I want and I'm praying that God would continue to make this a place that rises above some shallow, reduced understanding of what God wants his bride to be. So that's... Where we're going now, if you're um, newer or you're sitting here and you're like, okay, after a day, five more weeks of a study on the church, and, and if you're honest with yourself, you're like, that doesn't exactly you ignite my heart. I'm not exactly uh, 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 you know excited about that. I want to f- just now tell you, this is absolutely vital for you personally and for your family. To have a wrong or reduced understanding of the church has significant impact on your life. Why? You exist for the glory of God. You exist to make much of God. It's impossible for you to make much of God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Impossible. You can't do it. You can't fulfill your purpose without knowing Jesus Christ personally. The moment we call out in faith in Jesus Christ, he comes, saves us. He justifies us. It's the biblical word for this. He declares us righteous. We are back in relationship with him the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. From that moment on, the Lord is sanctifying you. It means he's making you more and more like Jesus Christ. And the way he wants to sanctify us all is within the community of the body of Christ. We cannot be sanctified apart from this beautiful thing called the church. Now, I hear all the time people say, like, no, nah, nah, like, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Jesus loved his church. And I get what people are saying. Yeah, but it's broken and it's messed up and there's all of these shortcomings with it. Um, broken people. And yes, it, 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 like we, we're going to preach this series and I'm going to teach on things that we believe the church is to be and you're like, you're going to sit there and go like, we don't do that very well. We know, maybe, or tell us if we don't know and we'll try to, we are pursuing this beautiful picture of what God has, has made his church to be and so you cannot be sanctified growing into greater Christ likeness separated apart from this beautiful thing that God calls his church. So well, that was really wordy, but follow my logic. You can't be sanctified and grow into the greatest Christ likeness that God wants for your life apart from the body of Christ. To be a part of the body of Christ helps you grow into greater Christ likeness. To grow into greater Christ likeness is to fulfill the pur- purpose of your life, and the purpose of your life is to bring God as much glory as you possibly can. Y'all, we need each other. And so we need to figure out together what does this look like for us to be the worshiping family with all the joys and all the messiness that comes with family, a worshiping family on mission together. Four years and four months ago tomorrow. It'll be four years and four months tomorrow from when this church launched. Um, We launched on September 13, 2015, um, and we gave a, a name to this local expression here uh, called Harvest Bible Chapel. When this church started, and to this day, we're, we're not trying to get cute with it. We're not trying to be uber creative. We're not trying to figure out, like, what is the church or culture needs today? That's how you say it if you talk like that, right? Okay? Okay. We're saying, what is the church God called us to be? And he's told us that. And so what are the things that have to be core to who we are and, Lord willing, who we always will be? And so I want to just walk you through a couple of the core things to us. But hear me say this. Um, You're going to hear me talk about our mission. You're going to hear me talk about these things called W's. You're going to hear me talk about our pillars. Um, If you go to a church That doesn't call it W's or doesn't call it pillars. Listen, that's okay, but is that church talking about these types of things? Is the mission of that church to bring God glory by making disciples? If that's not the mission, I would say their mission's wrong. I'm not saying it, I just think Jesus said it. And so, I want to hear, I want you to hear. What is like, the core foundational things that our church is all about? But I want you to know this is bigger than a Harvest Bible Chapel thing. This is just what we believe the church is to be about. And so here's the mission of our church. The mission of our church is this, to glorify God by making disciples. That is the mission. That is why we exist. If that mission ever changes, um, grab a chain, grab a padlock, and lock the doors. You with me? That is the mission. Now, one of the things I love to do is to read books or listen to podcasts about the starting of companies and organizations. And so I'll grab a book on Google and I'll just read about how did they start? How did it all begin? Uh, Grab a book on Amazon and read about how did this all start? Listen to a podcast about an organization. uh, How I built this? is a phenomenal podcast that talks about how companies, how organizations start. And here's what you often find in the, uh, the genesis or the beginning of an organization. There comes a point where they say, we need to kind of codify or, 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 um, or define what our mission is. We've been doing these things, but we need like a mission statement that the whole team can rally behind. And that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. It's a necessary thing for an organization. And so often you'll hear the story, you'll read about uh, all of the whiteboarding sessions, all of the playing with vocabulary, all of the months of refining it until they finally come after hours and hours and hours with this mission statement that's to rally the organization. Um, We spent zero seconds trying to come up with what the mission of this church would be zero. We didn't have to go away and whiteboard it. We didn't have to go on some retreat to the mountains to figure out, Jesus, what do you want the mission of this church to be? He already gave it to us. And that's what we find at the end of the book of Matthew. So let me read this out of Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here it is. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Boom. There it is. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is why we exist as the church. Think about this. Go back to verse 16. How many people did Jesus speak this commission to? How many? 11. He gives this commission to the 11 remaining disciples, and from this commission, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit fills them, and this Jesus movement spreads across the globe. It is remarkable. It is miraculous, and it's a story we get to be a part of 2,000 years later. Come on. The making of disciples to the end of the nations, like this fires, this is the fire in the heart of every Jesus follower. And so next week we'll talk more and unpack more in more detail that mission. But if we're going to exercise, if we're really going to do this mission, like we, this can't just be words on a wall. You know, so many mission statements are just words on a wall and no action comes of it. We have to actually know what we're making. We have to actually look in Scripture and say, what is a disciple of Jesus? Because if we don't, under, if we don't know what a disciple of Jesus is, we're going to be making things that aren't disciples of Jesus. And so our W's that we have here, what we've always said, a disciple of Jesus worships Christ, walks with Christ, and works for Christ. For the first four years of our church, we had three W's. You see four up there. Let me introduce you to our fourth W. We believe here that a disciple of Jesus Christ, the characteristics, the traits, as we read Scripture, we say, what what does a disciple of Jesus look like? What does a disciple of Jesus do? A disciple of Jesus worships Christ, walks with Christ, works for Christ, and witnesses for Christ. What do these mean? Two weeks from now, we're going to unpack what does it look like for us to be a worshiper of Jesus? And oh, by the way, it involves singing, but it's more than singing. The gathering of the body to sing praises to God in worship is an overflow of a life of worship to him all week long. We go to work with the goal of worship. We parent our kids with the goal of worship. Everything we do is for the goal of worship. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We are living; we are to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. This is our spiritual act of worship. And so, we're going to talk about what are worship who what are worshipers of Jesus. Uh, a, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to talk about what does it mean to walk with Christ. You know, as the Bible talks about living out the Christian life, it uses this picture of walking. That a disciple of Jesus Christ is a walker. They're walking with him and they're following him. I, uh, one of the, uh, My reading plan for 2020 is just to read the Gospel and Acts every month. And then February comes and I start back at Matthew, Gospel and Acts. March will come and I'll start back at Matthew, Gospel, uh, Gospels and Acts and all year long. Here's my goal. I was, telling, uh, we were, I was talking to the Lord last week, and I'm like, I just want to know what it means to follow you. Just strip everything else away and all of these things that we say. What, what did the people who were actually following you, what did they do? Where did they go? How did they talk? What does it look like to be an apprentice of Jesus? That's what he invites us to. And now, I'm going to talk about this more, but I, I got to go there. I want to wax eloquent for a bit on something that is, like, really alarming to hear. I don't know if it will be eloquent, but I'm going to wax, okay? One of the things I'll often hear in our, our, our um, really churched area that is the south side of Indy is, oh, yeah, they're Christians. but They're just not following right now. Um, I know why we say it. It makes us feel really good doesn't make us feel really good. It makes us feel better. We need to really unpack that statement. They're Christians. They're just not following Jesus. And yeah, let, we can get into all we want, that Christians have seasons of backsliding, all that. But I'm saying, Jesus would tell us the characteristic of someone who is one of his is that they're following he walked along a lake in northern uh, in, in Galilee, and he looked at a couple of fishermen, and he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Y'all, I want us to know the joy of following Jesus. I want us to know what it really means to walk with him. Not perfectly. Don't hear me say that. Not perfectly. We stumble in the walk. And Jesus, in his goodness, and his graciousness, is there to help us up. And we keep walking, but we have to know what it looks like to actually walk with him. You with me? And this is, okay, work. Um, what we mean by work is that a disciple of Jesus, think about this, Someone who truly knows Jesus has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. No, y'all, we're too like conditioned to just hear that. That's miraculous. A follower of Jesus has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. The purpose of those gifts isn't just a gift to do nothing with and it isn't a gift to make much of us. The purpose of the gifts is to build up this thing called the body of Christ. We all have gifts as followers. We're to use those gifts. We're to work with them for the building up to the head that is Jesus Christ. This week I was doing something weird. I usually do. I was sitting in my living room thinking about this this idea of spiritual gifts that we're all part of the body and I was literally looking and I'm like, do you ever stop to think about how remarkable this is? We think hand open and we, our hand opens. I literally was sitting in my, my living room like, go home and do it though, all right? <laughs> and like as I was walking down the hall this week, I was literally just like, I'm telling this week at some point, just be like, you th- we think it, our head thinks, and we don't even know we're doing this. We're not even, it's not, not even a cognitive thing. We just, we just react and we do. But somehow this is all happening. Jesus is the head of his church. And if I'm a hand, when the master says, hand open, hand open, and when he says, hand close, hand close. And he's given us all gifts as part of the body to be working uh, his redemptive purposes in this broken world to see his kingdom built. That's what we get to be a part of. If we get to be a part of that, why would we reduce church down to 75 minutes where we gather in a room or a building? It is so much more grand and beautiful than that. And then what we always used to do As we would teach on like a disciple of Jesus works, we'd say, so serve the body of Christ and then have a burden for those who aren't in the body of Christ, those who are lost, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We got to the place where we just said in this last season as leadership, we got to parse those out. We got to emphasize that part of following Jesus is to serve the body of Christ with the spiritual gifts he's given us. But then another key aspect that you see that Jesus has called his followers to is a deep burden for those who don't yet know him. And we get this awesome privilege as disciples to be witnesses of who he is. We get to say, I'm following Jesus, and I want to tell you about the goodness of this master that I'm following, this Lord I'm following. You come follow along with me. And so in the weeks to come, we're going to unpack in depth each of those W's. The mission It's God's glory through the making of disciples. We try to define and understand what a disciple is by uh, worshiping, walking, working, witnessing for Jesus. Now, the pillars of our church undergird all of the work that we do. The pillars of of the church are the, to say it like this, they are the ingredients we believe God calls every church to have in order to do disciple-making work. And the pillars of our church are this, unashamed worship. A church must have a theology and a philosophy and an understanding of what unashamed worshipers look like. Not just in singing, but in life. A a, a pillar of our church, a necessary ingredient for a healthy church of Jesus Christ is the unapologetic preaching of the word. I like amens on that one, right? I'm all about that one. We are people of the Word. We are the people who gather under the authority of the Word of God. We are people who sit in our homes and we study this Word because we need this Word. A pillar of our church is unafraid witness. That has to be a necessary ingredient. If we're going to make 4W disciples, what does it look like for us to be unafraid in our witness? Pillar of our church is unceasing prayer. Apart from him, we can do. Do you believe it? Not just theologically, not just intellectually. Do you live your life like apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? Uh, Over the new year, um, Erica and I snuck away for five days without our kids. I love our kids. But five days without kids, I love too. <laughs> two nights before we left, we were laying there, the and because, like, "It's too long. It's too long. We we can't do this. We got to cut the trip short. It's we can't. We it's too long." Next morning, 5 a.m., three of the four are crying at our feet. I said, "You still think it's too long?" "Nope, per, just right." <laughs> but I love uh, trips like that because um, you're, there's quiet. And without fail, the Lord speaks something tangible, specific into my life. And here it was from those five days. Brock, you live so independently of me. Y'all, I am so arrogant to think I know what's best sometimes. I am so arrogant to think I know how to do things. I confess to you, there are times in even like being part of leading the church where I think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in seminary, I learned this and it's X, Y, Z, and what. And he was inviting me that week to a life of dependence. To say over and over and over again, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Prayer is these awesome avenue he has given us to say to him over and over again I am completely lost without you and I'm desperate for you and I'm completely dependent on you and as a church what could happen if we believed it that apart from him we can do nothing intellectually theologically and then like practically it led to a reckless abandonment and complete abasement to just get on our faces and pray one of the pillars. And then this last one we've added, this fifth pillar, is unconditional service. Part of the ingredient of a healthy church is this unconditional service to one another that we see in the body. And so more to come in the weeks to come on this. But I said this at the beginning, and I want to unpack this statement and give us a snapshot of what this statement can look like. What could happen if we all believe together the first service of Harvest, the second service of Harvest, all believe together we are truly a family? It's about more than just the, what service I go to on Sunday. What would it look like if we were truly a worshiping family on mission together, and I want us to see the snapshot of this in Acts chapter two. So flip over Acts chapter two, the end of the chapter, verse verse forty-two. Now, um, a quick recap of what's happened. Um, there are about 120 Jesus followers. They were, uh, this was after Jesus ascended to heaven. They're gathered in a room praying. When the Holy Spirit, when Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the followers of Jesus. They begin to speak in different tongues. They begin to speak in different languages. And in Jerusalem is, at this time are people from all over the known world. And all these people are watching this small group of Jesus followers speaking in all these different languages that all of these different people from all over the known world can understand. And literally, they're like, these people are drunk. That's what they say. Peter stands up and goes, y'all, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. Literally, it's what he says. And then he begins to unpack the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three People get saved. And now, this is the explanation for how the 3,120 person first church began to live together. Verse 42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want that. And I believe God's desire for His church is to experience that. Let's not settle for anything less. Let's fight and claw for that expression of what Jesus longs for His church to be. What characterizes this? I just want to list it for us. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the word. They are devoted to the fellowship. That we would even figure out what fellowship looks like. In the tradition of church I grew up in, my only concept of fellowship was punching cookies uh, like once a quarter after the service in the church gym. That's all I knew fellowship to be. What does fellowship look like? What does life together look like? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. What characterized this? Um, Look at what it said in verse 43. And, three-letter word, after and, and what? Awe. When's the last time you've been awestruck? When's the last time you have gathered with other believers and been absolutely awestruck? God's intention for his body, his bride, this thing called the church, is for it to be a place of awe. I want to know that awe. It said, um, "Signs and wonders were being done in their midst. You, God is still a God of miracles. Signs and wonders can happen in our midst. Do we still believe that? Or have we made this all so mechanical? Like what I do is I go to church on Sunday and we spend the 75 minutes and they got the service all programmed out, and then we do small, and then we do this. Like we have to think about this. Lord. Do signs and wonders in our midst. Let the supernatural happen. I said they had all things in common. Needs in the body were known. And then needs in the body were met. In my pride, I love to meet needs. In my pride, I don't like to make my needs known. Who's with me? amazing when you think about this a need was made known among a family or among an individual and someone said i have excess of that right now or i have enough of that right now let me take my excess or enough and let me let it fill the void of the need that you have i have three cars they have zero car they didn't have cars then but you know what i'm saying that we would see needs and then we would know the joy, the absolute spirit-directed joy of going, I think we can figure out how to meet that. Y'all, don't you long for this? And aren't you a little bit like scared of the faith steps that this might require of us? And yet, isn't that the joy of what it means to follow Jesus in faith? They worshiped together. They went to the temple together. It says they met in their homes together. And then this last sentence absolutely blows me away. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Like we read that and we go, whoa, what an amazing work of God in the beginning of the church. And it was. But you know what I bet? I bet God still delights to do that today. And I bet if the 1,000-plus people who gather in this room every Sunday, if we would just go out and share the gospel every day, we would see the Lord delighting and adding to our number day by day, those who are being saved. What if our small group texts were blowing up, go, just shared with the, the, the gospel with a guy at Starbucks. He committed his life to the Lord. What if we could read that every single day? You guys breathing? We good? Like... I want this for us. We're committed as church leadership to try to figure out what this looks like. Please hear us. The next five weeks after this aren't us saying, we got this figured out. It's saying, man, here's what we see in scripture. God does lights in for his church and we want to figure out how to be more faithful to see that. You hear me say, a worshiping family. And some of you here have experienced, you would go, this church feels like family more than I've ever experienced. And some of you might go, man, family. No one showed up when dot, dot, dot. I was like, man, I was really hurt when. We're failing at this all the time. We're getting up, we're trying. All I'm saying, this vision that you see, don't you long for it? don't you long for it? And don't you want to figure out together how we could actually pursue being this worshiping family on mission together? And won't we experience the highs of the highs of what it means to live life in close relationship as family? And won't we be hurt at times and let down because family at times is hard, am I right? But it's worth it. And let's pursue it together, amen?